Today on Bob and Your Live, I'm inviting you to the March for Abolition here in Denver. We'll be discussing the important distinctions between the stereotypical March for Life and the March for Abolition. After that, we will be going through every single pro-choice argument and show how they are wrong on every single front. You'd think they would have made a good point by now with how much they're constantly jabbering, but alas, they have not. All of that and more right here on Bob and Your Live. Greetings to the brightest audience in the country. Welcome to Bob Enyart Live. I'm your host, Dominic Enyart. I want to start today's show off with an announcement for those of you here in the Denver metro area. This Saturday, I hope you can join me at Colorado Right to Life's March for Abolition. That's this Saturday, January 22nd, 2022. And this is somewhat of a rebranding almost of the of your like average typical march for life this is instead the march for abolition i actually spoke at last year's march for abolition that was a huge honor i've been to a few of the stereotypical march for life events and in my experience those have been extremely tone deaf and counterproductive you know the stereotypical pro-life march for life they're not great. First and foremost, there's this attitude of celebrating life, which the miracle of life is wonderful. God is certainly a incredible designer, and he gave us the gift of life, both physical life here on earth and eternal life with him forever. And both of those things are worth celebrating and praising God for. However, the average March for Life has a certain aura of tone deafness surrounding it. We have these marches about celebration and victory, and you get Mike Pence saying, life is winning in America, and people cheering, and then right down the street at your local abortion clinic, there are 10 women currently in the waiting room, right as Mike Pence says that, and they're about to have an abortion. And they are only being held up by the woman who is currently having the abortion. So is it really worthwhile to be celebrating life as there are babies being murdered behind closed doors just down the street? Is it worth saying that life is winning when there is a baby currently being murdered within two miles of you? To me, that comes off as rather tone deaf. Imagine a march of Polish Christians going around Oswiecim celebrating and cheering, saying life is winning when just down the street at Auschwitz there are millions of Jews being gassed to death as they're cheering. Would we not look back on that with a certain level of uncomfort? Well, that's exactly what we do with our stereotypical marches for life here in America, and we're celebrating life. We have become rather tone deaf, so this rebranding, I believe, is necessary. Also, the typical March for Life focuses intently on regulating the murder of unborn children, which if you have such a heinous crime and you're working to regulate it, I mean, talk about tone deaf. Imagine if we were to live in a society where rape was a legal and common occurrence 
than we were to fight to regulate rape. You know, oh, no rape after 11 p.m. Right. How disgusting and tone deaf would that be? So the march for abolition is just that, a march for abolition, not regulation. And we take the march directly to the final lines of the battle. We meet at the very doorstep of the abortion mill here in Denver. Unlike the other pro-life marches, the march for abolition is not going to try and keep you comfortable by shying away from the killing that takes place. You know, if we stay comfortable, abortion will never go away. So the march for abolition will make you rather uncomfortable because at the march for abolition, they actually ask you to put your money where your mouth is in hopes of applying social pressure to the community saying, hey, abortion is murder. And at this march, lives are saved. It's not just a feel-good event that accomplishes nothing at the end of the day. I mentioned that I spoke last year for Colorado Right to Life, which was an honor. The year before, so 2019, I was one of the guys wearing the one of the orange vests with the little flag, waving it and directing people and showing them where to park. And I don't know how I got that promotion, by the way, you know, from that to being the speaker. I must have uh, waved those flags rather effectively. Uh, but at that event, I waved down a car and I asked if they were there for the march. And just coincidentally... I waved down a car that was going to enter the abortion clinic for an abortion, and which I've talked to many women going in for abortions. Uh, that's not completely like new territory for me, but it just caught me off guard because I was just talking with hundreds of anti-abortion advocates, and it took me a second to shift gears to realize, oh, we have to try and stop this lady. And so I was speaking with her, and while I was speaking with her, Colorado Right to Life's vice president, Susan Sutherland, came over, and we talked to her and her friend, and we talked them away from going to the Planned Parenthood and going to the Crisis Pregnancy Center right next door instead. And as far as I ever found out, I think she ended up not having the abortion. And so that's an example of a real-world, tangible victory that comes from the March for Abolition as opposed to the bland March for Lifes that are held across the country. But so Colorado Right to Life's March for Abolition will be held right on the doorstep of Planned Parenthood right here in Denver to confront and to expose and to shine a light on their sin rather than to keep it hidden in the dark. So this Saturday at Planned Parenthood, 7155 East 38th Ave in Denver at 10 a.m., the keynote speaker is a godly man, outspoken abolition advocate, Mario Horta, real strong Christian guy. I've had the pleasure of meeting him on a few separate occasions. This is going to be a great event to meet other anti-choice advocates, and we really need you there, so make an effort to come. Please, you're so needed. Remember that abortion isn't going anywhere if you're not willing to put in the effort. And uh, you'll be able to find those details online at kgov.com slash March 2022. That's kgov.com slash M-A-R-C-H dash 2022. And that will bring you to today's show summary, which will have all the details. Please join us there to stand for the innocent and to be a voice for the voiceless. 
But so the March is coming up, and so I thought it would be appropriate for on today's show to talk about abortion. Say you show up and you start talking with an unbeliever about abortion and you want to feel equipped to properly respond to them, I think this show would be very helpful for you. So I just want to go through some of the most common abortion arguments. Abortion, obviously, is murder. And my father and predecessor, Bob Enyart, put it very succinctly. And if I ever get into a discussion about abortion, I always start with this line. And you should, too. You have permission to plagiarize this sentence. It's okay. You don't even have to give any credit. You have permission from Bob Enyart Live. But to start, just say... Abortion is wrong because it's a baby, and it's always wrong to intentionally kill a baby. So on today's show, we're going to prove why pro-aborts are wrong on every single front. Now, I want to take a moment and clarify, pro-choice advocates don't just have faulty logic in a couple of their arguments. Every single pro-choice argument Every single one is abysmal. You know, there's that saying, a broken clock is right twice a day. You'd think with how much they yap and jabber constantly all day, every day, they would have come up with something true, even just accidentally. But no, every single point they have is incorrect. If you took monkeys banging on keyboards for billions of years, they might end up clacking some keys in the correct order, which form a true sentence just from pure chance alone, but pro-aborts arguing for abortion, which is pretty much just that, a bunch of monkeys clacking on a keyboard, they still haven't managed to come up with a single good point. Not one, not one time, not even accidentally. Every single thing they say, without exception. Do you get my point here? I'm not saying, I'm not saying 99.999999% of the things they say are stupid. 100% full and complete Every single thing they say is stupid. And why is that? Well, pretty simple, really. Stupid doesn't make you sin, but sin makes you stupid. And it is quite literally impossible to have a smart sentence that is uttered in rebellion against God. But so all of their arguments are dumb, which is lucky for me. It makes for good show content. So today... And perhaps tomorrow, depends on how long we go, we're going through all of the pro-abort arguments point by point and debunking each one on each point. Also, as we do so, we mustn't make the mistake of crediting the pro-choice crowd with good intentions. They aren't trying to make the world a better or, you know, more inclusive place, as they say. That's not their end goal. Their end goal is to rebel and mock God, and we must not be so foolish as to credit them with good intentions as they are actively mocking our Lord and Savior. Uh, This includes ignorance of the issue, by the way, which in and of itself is immoral because we have an obligation to be experts on morality. You get that? We have an obligation to be experts on morality. And if they don't know whether or not abortion is evil, that in and of itself is sin. And that's actually one of the areas where I disagree with. I really respect Jordan Peterson 
but this is one of the areas where I disagree with him. He says he's not smart enough to know if abortion is wrong, but like, hey, well, listen up, bucko. Uh, my eight-year-old niece is smart enough to know that murdering babies is wrong. So not knowing whether or not abortion is sinful is sinful in and of itself. So not knowing whether or not abortion is sinful is sinful in and of itself. Abortion is the epitome of selfishness. It's the most clear example of sin you could ask for. And there is, there's no, there's really no more severe example of selfishness than murdering an innocent child merely for convenience. You know, suicide comes close. Suicide is a sin almost as selfish as abortion, putting agony on others because you're so weak you can't withstand pain. That, that is evil and selfish, but nowhere near as selfish as murdering an innocent child because she'd be inconvenient. So uh, the first pro-choice argument is their hailed slogan, right? My body, my choice. Not their body, not their choice, right? It's not their body. Different and new chromosomes, which I guess they don't believe in. Different and new DNA, different and new blood types, the mother might have type O blood and the baby has type A blood, different or new body parts, half the time reproductive organs of the opposite sex, right? That's a different body. People don't just randomly start growing new fingers and toes 25 years into their lives. That doesn't happen. That's if you get pregnant and there's another body inside your body. But of course, they say it's just part of the mother's body, of course. And here's a question to that. When was the last time you heard of a story of a woman who died in a car crash, but her kneecap, her kneecap survived? Or when was the last time there was an accident, but some guy's left shoulder made it out alive? Never? You've never heard a story like that? Interesting. Yet what story do we see every now and then? We see the headline, pregnant woman dies in crash, baby survives. And I've seen that headline maybe 10 times or so in my life. The most recent example was a story from three weeks ago. A mom passed away in an accident, but via a C-section, her child survived, which obviously that's a tragedy she passed. But in that pain, what beauty that the womb is meant to be such a safe place for the child, you know, she and her body died and that most likely protected her unborn child so that is cool but nonetheless they say my body my choice and no no it is not your body so no it is not your choice you know slave owners used the exact same logic you know these blacks are my property it is my choice to do with them as i will so my body my choice try this one on for size my plantation my prerogative now, I'm not saying pro-aborts are just as bad as slave owners. That would be terrible and unfair. I would never say something like that. They are much worse than slave owners. Much, much worse. Your right to use your body how you want ends where another's rights begin. You are allowed to swing your fist, but you are no longer allowed to swing your fist if my face is in the way. The right to use your body ends where my rights begin. Likewise, you have a right to use your body until you'd be killing a baby. When you're killing a baby, you know, if you're unsure where the line is drawn, it's before that point. 
the body inside your body is not your body. Now, before any of you libs say, oh, so your rights end where my rights begin, doesn't that mean you should wear masks or, and get vaxxed for my protection? And to that I say, well, if you agree that abortion is murder, you'll have a lot easier of a time convincing me to get vaxxed and to wear a mask and all that. So come to our march and hold a sign saying abortion is murder, and then we can talk about that. Their second abysmal argument is the baby isn't alive. And this argument is anti-science as they get. Scientific consensus is a very rare thing these days, especially with COVID. This, however, is one issue we know the answer to with certainty. Over 95% of certified biologists claim that life begins at conception. This makes sense because at the moment of conception, kids meet all the scientific criteria for life, every single one of them. Babies aren't just inanimate objects as they'd have you believe. It's not like a baby is a rock or a piece of metal. It is a living child to which they might respond, a baby is just a clump of cells. And to that, we can respond, well, so are you. Okay, okay, it's alive and it's a human, but it's not a person. Like a tree is alive, but not a person. Well, the definition of a person is a human being regarded as an individual. The baby obviously has DNA and belongs to the human species. No one disagrees with that. A little girl in the womb isn't a bat or a bush, but she is a human. Then we discussed why my body, my choice is idiotic. We know it's a distinct individual separate from the mother. That little girl checks all the boxes and by all valid measures is considered a person. You know, babies in the womb, they have dreams, they play with their toes, they suck on their thumbs. If there are twins or triplets in the womb, they play with one another, they learn their mother's voice as compared to say the voice of a nurse. And you know, saying that the baby is not a person, this argument has been used for hundreds of years to justify all sorts of you know, hideous, really hideous evils, slavery and the Holocaust, you know, oh, those Jews, they might look like people, you know, they might, they might kind of appear like they're people, but they're less than human. Now, uh, abortion, I'm not saying abortion is just as bad. Abortion it is worse. And pro-aborts are more deserving of hell than the Germans serving in the Nazi regime. You know, the Germans targeting the Jews, that is part of what makes their sin so egregious, is that not not just was it, you know, a genocide, which was one of the most horrific atrocities in human history, but it was also racism targeted at one specific group, which is terrible. Then with abortion, it's the same thing where it's targeting one specific group. It's targeting babies and babies are the most innocent among us. So abortionists are more deserving of hell than the Germans serving in the Nazi regime. It is ironic. People who use this argument are the ones who always say that killing animals and killing bugs is wrong. You know, there are tree huggers who get mad at people for chopping down a, a tree, but then they're fine, completely fine. They celebrate dismembering a little girl. Stupid doesn't make you sin, but sin makes you stupid. 
Something else you will hear a lot is that if you don't like abortion, don't get one. This argument is so stupid, it gives me AIDS. It's like saying, oh, you don't like rape? Well, don't rape anyone. Just don't tell me I can't rape other people. Yeah, when I hear someone say that, I can feel my brain cells dying as they're talking. They also say, well, the baby can't feel pain. First of all, yes, they can. There's videos of abortions taking place, and you see the baby in the womb squirming and trying to get away from the suction catheter, but it's trapped inside the womb, so it can't get away. But you see the baby struggling and trying to run away. It's not running away because the suction catheter, you know, the abortion vacuum, it's not running away because that's a pleasant thing. It's running away because it's horrifically painful. Second, whether or not your victim feels pain is irrelevant. You know, chop off someone's head while they're sleeping. They probably won't feel a thing, but it's still wrong, obviously. Then if that doesn't work, they'll switch to the next argument. They're dependent on the mother. And yes, that's true, but so are toddlers. And toddlers will 100% die on their own without someone there to take care of them. It is still wrong to kill toddlers just because they're dependent. The next argument they might try and use is, well, they're not sentient, so it's okay to kill them. People in comas are also not sentient. People who are asleep are unconscious, but it's still wrong to kill them, obviously. And they might respond, but people sleeping in comas have the possibility to become sentient. Exactly. Some other people, some other abortionists will go as far as to claim it is okay to kill people in comas when you know they will recover just to be consistent with their own logic. And I'm not even going to bother responding to that point other than just to point out that when you don't draw the line at baby murder, there is no place you will draw the line. In reality, if you don't draw the line at disobeying God, there is no place you will draw the line. Because when you disobey God even once and reject his standard and refuse to abide by it, there is no reason to think you will abide by any other terrible worldly standard. Pro-choice women will say the baby is a parasite infecting my body. A baby will be inside your womb for about nine months, then will live apart from the mother after it has grown. Parasites and viruses aren't considered life because they rely on a host for their entire existence, and without a host, they will die off. Babies at least have the potential to become self-sufficient. What a horrible way to view motherhood, by the way. This is the most precious, incredible, beautiful part of life. It is a gift so precious given to you by God, and you view your own child like a parasite. Imagine saying that, then giving birth anyways, and having to explain to your 11-year-old daughter why you claimed she was a parasite and why you wanted to murder her. Absolutely disgusting. Then one of their holy arguments is that, well, what if a woman was raped? First of all, abortion is more heinous of a crime than rape. If a woman is raped and becomes pregnant, then proceeds to get an abortion, she is more deserving of hell than her rapist. Because all sins are not equal. I know a lot of people say that all sins are equal, but all sins are not equal. And murder is more evil than rape. You do not punish the child for the crimes of the father. You know, think of a poor baby who's going to have to live a life without her father. 
should not that child be loved and supported more than any other child, not further tormented by prenatal torture and the knowledge her own mother didn't love her? She should be supported more so. Also, the mother who had to go through that terrible, horrific, evil, vile experience, you want to further traumatize her by having her become the mother of a murdered child? Pro-aborts are the most sick and disgusting and vile people, but bringing it back to the child, right? Have you ever met a child who was conceived in rape? By the way, we used to make the mistake of saying a child who was the product of rape. We don't say that anymore because these are incredible people and they aren't products or objects, but they are people. And if you've met someone who was conceived in rape, do you know what you'll notice about them that's different from everyone else? Nothing. I mean, the struggle of knowing their father was a bad person, you'll notice that if you get to know them. But as far as who they are as people... They're exactly the same. They're people. There's a famous picture of two fetuses in the womb next to each other, side by side, ultrasounds. And there's a caption above it that reads, which one of these two children was conceived in rape, which does not have a right to life. And point being, you can't tell them apart. Rape does not change the morality of the situation god loves them both by the way god loves all babies all of them without exception and i am prepared to defend that in debate and you should love all babies in the womb as well so abortion in the case of rape is obviously a crime it's murder but taking it even further abortion for rape is a crime in another sense in the sense that it is destroying evidence right did you know that rapists they love abortion rapists love abortion with a passion because a stepdad who rapes his daughter what does he do he doesn't want to be found out as a pedophile as a rapist so what does he do he goes to the abortion clinic and gets an abortion to cover it up and planned parenthood loves 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 covering up rape incest and pedophilia it's a favorite pastime of theirs when they get bored they ask oh are there any pedophiles around that we could uh, help out today if we could kill if we could kill this pedos kid to get rid of the evidence and never not one time in our entire company's history report a suspected rape to the authorities even though that's required by law is there any way we could do that because we're feeling bored today abortion for rape is as sick and disgusting and un unmerciful as it gets you know rape and abortion are actually wrong for the same reason they are both violent acts of aggression towards another weaker person's body if pro-choice activists really cared about the mother when she was raped and conceived a child, what they would do is they would offer her help and not offer her a solution that will further traumatize her and send her home with her very rapist. That happens every day in America. The next argument they'll use is another one of their holy texts, if you will. They ask, what if the life of the mother is at stake? There was a large group of doctors who said there is never a case where abortion will help the mother you know, sometimes you'll induce premature labor to get the baby out of the mother earlier for the mother's health. This often ends up, tragically, often ends up with the child dying, but there's nothing about murdering a baby that will improve the health of the mother. You know, premature labor, that can be dangerous for the child, 
but that's different from an abortion. In reality, there is nothing about abortion that will improve the health of the mother. Partial birth abortion is a great example of this. Partial birth abortion proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that it is not about health. You don't stop halfway through a delivery to snip off the baby's head if you are concerned for the mother's safety. You only do that if you want to murder the baby. Big news flash for all you libs out there, and I know this point is confusing, so put on your thinking caps. Snipping off a baby's head provides no medical support to the mother. You know, say there's a complication with pregnancies, so the doctors have to induce early labor, right? Which that happens, that's not uncommon, and you're delivering the baby, what do you do? You deliver the baby. And that's it. The baby might die. The baby might live. You don't know. You hope for the best, but you deliver the baby. But what do abortion advocates say that you should do in the situation when you're delivering a baby early? They say you should be delivering the baby, but then take a break halfway through the process, which, you know, taking a break halfway through delivery, why would you do that? You take a, a break halfway through the process. And while you're on break, you have someone go in and kill the baby. In what way does that medically benefit the mother? No one really knows. The sad reality is, is that if you have a friend who got an abortion because of, you know, what she claimed was the health of the mother for my health or something like that, she didn't need an abortion for her health. She wanted her child to die and she got what she wanted and she is guilty of murder. The next thing you'll hear all the time is that people can't afford having kids. So that gives you the right to kill them somehow. People also can't afford supporting toddlers often, yet it's still wrong to kill them. Economic struggles do not justify murder. You know, when I hear this, I think of Jeremiah 19. God is talking about the wicked and he says that they're super evil and he's talking about the catastrophe he's going to bring upon them. And he says, quote, they have also built the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or speak, nor did it come into my mind. So the people are wicked and it was common practice to sacrifice their sons. And they believed that sacrificing their children would save their lives. So they murdered their own kids. And what does God say here? He says, this was so evil, it didn't even come into my mind that they would be so wicked. And they were sacrificing their kids because they thought it would save them. And that was horrible. How much worse do you wager is it for people today who have abortions? You're saying you can't afford kids? No, what you mean by that is you're saying you can't afford kids and tuition. You can't afford kids and the current apartment you're living in, you are sacrificing your child because you have to move to a smaller apartment otherwise, because it's hard to have kids. You are sacrificing your daughter because she's inconvenient. At least the wicked people in Jeremiah 19 were murdering, trying to save their own skins. You're murdering an innocent child, your own innocent child, for the sake of convenience. If God said their sin was so great, for sacrificing their children to the altar of Baal. Imagine what he's going to say to you on Judgment Day for sacrificing your child to the altar of inconvenience. Then they'll say, well, abortion makes me happy. Yeah, I really don't care. Rape makes rapists happy. Little boys make pedophiles happy. 
Happiness doesn't justify anything. It just makes you look like a psychotic monster, primarily because you are one. One thing that I, as a man, have heard a lot is that pro-choice women will tell me men don't get to have a say on abortion. First of all, before I reply to that point, I'd like to say you guys, you being the pro-choice crowd, you've spent the last 50 years saying that, and now I'm the one with a microphone, and I'm the one with my own talk show. So yes, as a matter of fact, I do get a say on abortion, and you are hearing it right now along with thousands of others. So all that effort that you've put into saying that for the last 50 years all of that effort has been completely wasted and is being completely ignored. You've squandered your time. Hope you feel great about that. But to reply to the, the substance of that point, plenty of women are anti-murder too. So it's not just men who are anti-murder. Not being a slave owner didn't disqualify you from saying slavery was wrong. You know, evil is still evil regardless of who is talking about it. Plus, fathers are allowed to say, you can't murder my child. You know, baby boys are being murdered, which makes this a men's issue. This saying that men don't get to have a say on abortion is just as idiotic as saying women shouldn't have a say on rape. Hey, rape, you know, yeah, women women shouldn't have a say on the topic because it's a man just doing what he wants with his body. So tough. Imagine if someone were to say that and how much you would rightfully hate them. You would have such righteous anger, and the same is true here. Another thing that pro-choice people will argue is, well, what about all the unwanted children? You know, anti-choice advocates often tell moms as they're trying to go in for an abortion that they should have their child and adopt their kids out rather than murder them. And the pro-murder advocates will say, there are so many unwanted kids in the foster care system. Do you really want to add more to that? And first of all, if the alternative is killing them, then yes, I do. Second of all, problems with the foster care system, the way to solve those problems isn't to go in and kill all the kids, which is where your logic takes you. Third, it's true that the foster care system isn't wonderful, but newborns born aren't adding any numbers to the foster care system. There, tragically, aren't many parents who want to adopt 10-year-olds, but there are thousands of parents lined up waiting to adopt newborn babies. The line for newborn babies is miles long. We can't get enough babies for those people. So abortion is wrong, first and foremost, because you're sinning against God, right? That's, that's the main reason, because God says, thou shalt not murder. Then, because you're sinning against your own child, right? You're murdering your own child. But you're also sinning. You're not thinking much about this. You're also sinning against those parents who would have wanted to adopt your baby and raise it as their own. You're denying them that gift. The last pro-choice argument I want to get to on today's show, maybe we'll talk through some more on tomorrow's show, but is that pro-lifers only care about kids before they're born. I remember a few years back at a Project Frontlines event, which I've told you guys a little bit about on the show, I had this one gal come up to me and she told me that she said, you know, you pro-lifers, you're so you're so evil. You just care about kids being born. And then once they're born, then you don't care about them anymore. And I just told her, I said, well, no, that's that's not true. You know, I'm I'm against murdering babies in the womb. I'm also against murdering 
babies outside of the womb. I'm also against murdering adults outside of the womb. I think that murdering anybody, regardless of your age, is wrong. And it's so funny. They don't they don't have the capacity almost to think through these truths that are so simple. And I, I told this girl this and she just said, uh, uh oh, okay, and then she she just left. So they are incapable of thinking through these issues. And that's why I say that it's not a single point they have ever made has ever been a good point, even accidentally. Their points are consistently 100% of the time abysmal. They're incapable of thinking them through because if they were to think it through, they would realize, hey, abortion is wrong. And instead of killing my own baby, I need to protect and love my baby and honor the Lord instead. Hey, that's going to do it for today. I'm your host, Dominic Enyar. I hope to see you at the march for abolition this Saturday, 10 a.m. at Planned Parenthood in the Denver area. Check out kgov.com for the details. I will be back here tomorrow, then on Thursday for Theology Thursday and Real Science Radio on Friday. Until then, this is Dominic Enyart reminding you to do right and risk the consequences.